You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Raj. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Informer Podcast. This is Roger coming to you on Tuesday, the 18th of October. A day early, but with good reason. And for anybody who knows how much we love the Batman series, today is Batman Arkham City Day because the game came out. And if you'll recall, we absolutely loved the series that came out for that. If you took our recommendations and read it, uh, fantastic. If not, the trade is available. And if you're looking for the game, it came out today, folks. So with me, same as usual, we got Vince. I didn't trust him with hosting this because <laughs> considering the importance of the, the episode, I wanted somebody with the, the mental capacity to pronounce November. And, and for that, now I'm going to have to go and take a clip out of our other podcast so that people can understand what I mean. <laughs> Every time I do that, I create work for myself, but it's worth it just to make an ass out of you. It, it makes my day. Well, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and with the Nightwing purchase, which comes out on November, 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 Dude, November, insert record scratch here and play it over four times. <laughs> All right. We've also got a very special guest with us today. Now, we have been raving about his work, not just last week, but last year as well with the Marvel Universe versus the Punisher. And of course, last week was Marvel Universe versus Wolverine. The gentleman, however, has got a wealth of other titles under his belt, a lot of them being novels as well. So, Jonathan Mayberry, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I'm, I'm happy to be here. All right. Now, before we actually get into talking more with you and stuff like that, you were saying you don't get to talk comics enough, so I thought we'd switch it up and actually talk a little bit about what we're reading right now. So, just to give you a little prep time so that you can be ready when we, we put the pressure on you, Jonathan, <laughs> we'll jump to Vince first. What have you been reading? Um, finally catching up on some of the number twos from DC, uh, of the few number ones I really enjoyed. And I got a chance to read both Animal Man and Swamp Thing. And while you didn't like those as much as I did, I really liked them. And issue two of both of those series I found were really good. It, it's just kind of fitting that it happens this week because the stories, they're more supernatural and get some of that horror twist in them. And they're not your traditional, uh, superhero comics. And I'm really liking that. And from reading them... I'm getting a feeling that the two of them are really going to start tying together and telling some uh, more intertwined stories. I'm looking forward to that. I, I've really liked those two comics. See, unfortunately, I'm finding that, again, the a lot of the number twos are just that. They I have not been enjoying them. And, like, I read um, the last one I read just a couple of days ago with was the Action Comics number two. And I'm really sorry to say I am... You were saying you kind of enjoyed it more than I did. I was not crazy about the first one because I saw too many um, situations that were very similar to other things we'd seen in other comic books and movies, other things. And number two, I just point blank didn't like at all. Did you, did you I, get a chance to read it yet? I haven't had a chance to check that one out yet, unfortunately. Yeah, I quite frankly was not crazy about it. Now, I did read Detective Comics number two. And I mean, uh, we, we, it was one of how can you not read number two when number one ends with a face on a wall? You pretty much have to read number two to see what's going on. Um, and I can already see that it's going to be dwindling down fairly rapidly as well. I'm thinking, at least with this story arc. The only thing interesting in issue one was not even really a factor in issue two. So I'm checking out. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that at least the Batman title is going to remain strong because unfortunately right now of the Bat titles, that Batman is the only one that I'm really enjoying. Yeah, maybe giving Nightwing a little bit of a chance, but that's about it. Yeah, I, although I will say I actually haven't read uh, Batwing yet. So that's one that I have to read. I know you didn't like it, but I actually enjoyed the uh, what they were doing in the first one. So I have to read the second one and see. I mean, as long as it's not, again, just heads on tables all over the place, then maybe there'll be more of a story to it. <laughs> Jonathan, have you had a chance to go through a lot of the new uh, DC New 52? You know, I have a whole stack of them to read, but I just got back from about a month or so of, of book tour, and I am, I've got a stack of comics that's taller than I am, and I'm a big guy, so uh, <laughs> Wait, when, I'm going to be sitting down and reading 52 comics <laughs> in a row. Oh, um, geez. We can help have you. Have a bottle handy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the only one I've read so far is Action Comics number one, and I really, really liked it. Really? Um, yeah, I, I, liked, I liked kind of the, the bad boy vibe to it, Now I don't know where they're going with it. And I have to admit that I haven't really read a lot of DC over the last couple of years. I've, I've been you know, concentrating on Marvel because I'm writing for them. And God knows you have to keep track of a lot of stuff when you write for Marvel. Yeah. But I'm, you know, as a way, as a jumping on point, it's an interesting way to go because it's not the Superman I expected. So, And I kind of like uh, change-up, so we'll see how that goes. Okay, well, what were your thoughts on the... The, uh, the the relaunch prior to it actually happening and like I, did you get, have you actually had a chance to read Flashpoint? Um, no, that's also okay. My, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, definitely make sure to read that before the new ones. Probably ninety percent of what I what I read uh, is Marvel because I, I'm writing for them and uh, um, I read a bunch of IDW and uh, Dark Horse stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm that that's been most of my stuff, but I've got a ton of trade paperbacks. From from uh, DC because uh, you know a couple of buddies of mine are writing for them. Dwayne Swierczynski is doing some stuff for them, and it, it's kind of inspired me to want to catch up on what DC has been doing. What were your thoughts when you heard about the relaunch, though? Well, I had kind of a split thought. My first thing is, oh God, the company must be in trouble, right? Uh, because relaunches typically are you know a way of saying no, 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 we don't suck, we're great. Um, but at the same time, I've heard, you know, my friends who have comic book stores saying that some of what's coming up is just fantastic. So, you know, it, it may be, it may have been started as a, as a way of, of rebooting the company a little bit as well as the titles. But, uh, from what I've heard for just from issue ones, I haven't heard any feedback on twos yet, um, it, that they, they did a good job with a number of the titles. Hmm. I'd like to talk to those people. <laughs> we may have some choice words. Uh, yeah, see, the way that I'm looking at it, too, is because, like you were saying, a lot of it's marketing stuff. And we're seeing that now on the Marvel side as well with what's going on with the X-Men kind of thing. And it was one of those where they're saying, no, no, we've been planning this for several several years. And yet it feels so very much like the same marketing ploy that was with the, the DC relaunch. Granted, of course, it's not the entire series, everything, it's but it's the, the X-Men series. And right. a bit of Heroes Reborn too. And, you know. Yeah. And I know that right now, see, that's what I've been reading lately. I got completely caught up on the schism stuff and I just finished reading the the regenesis and for and i'm a huge x-men fan i huge x-men fan and i have just not been digging this at all i really have very little use for what's going on and that's uh, it's one it's funny it's one of those things with with um uh, marvel especially with its crossovers they either hit or miss and you know some of the stuff has been really great um some stuff um 
feels like it only plays to an as a very select in crowd. Um, the schism and regenesis thing didn't work for me either. Um, I like some of the the writing. I like some of the, the, the concepts, but it didn't quite grab me the way I thought it was going to. Yeah, and see, we've said this often throughout various episodes as well. I don't mind saying quite honestly when there's something that I don't like, and I'm not insulting the writer. It's a subjective field. Just because I don't like your writing doesn't mean it isn't good. I just it doesn't appeal to me. And unfortunately, the entire schism felt completely forced is the best way that I can say it. And as if, again, it, it wasn't something that they'd been planning for years, and it felt very much like the the characters were not themselves. They didn't tr stay true to who they've been for many years. And so reading Regenesis now, where it's this ridiculous, hey, why don't you come on my team? <laughs> it's like <laughs> these guys have fought in, you know, other universe, other planets all over the place. Hey, guys, come and be my friends. I, it's, it just has, it's put a negative mark on the X-Men. And considering that they're, they're going to be working towards such a huge relaunch and split, I don't know. I would have thought that they would have put a lot more attention to the writing for those series. And uh, that's, yeah. that's something that's really kind of tough for me to comment on. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> not most of the guys were writing those books and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a weird comic book fan anyway, in that I've always been uh, a supporter of the, of the creators, but at the same time, I have, you know, I always had some personal criticisms of, of different things. So I'm kind of waiting until it, it plays like the arc plays out for a while. And then I'm going to go back and read the whole thing right. and, and see where I stand on it. Right. Right. Yeah. I am very curious to know what they're going to be doing, um, with the, the, the new number ones that said, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately i've got this sour taste in my mouth now and my expectations are pretty low now that being said of course we don't have to look any further than the flashpoint series that wasn't that long ago that we praised initially that fell flat on its face at, at the end in our opinions and so here we have the reverse situation hopefully the reverse maybe it will pull out and be incredible once they actually relaunch it's going to be something that's going to be interesting because they are finally incorporating a lot more characters as well throughout all of the x titles which is which is nice. I would imagine that, again, you as a writer working in the industry, it must be fun to be able to play with characters that aren't always being used. Yeah, it, it really is. I, I, I've I always liked oddball characters anyway, and I've got a, a series that I actually can't tell you the title of yet. <laughs> that, that's going to include a bunch of oddball characters, and, and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, for a while, when I, when I first came on board with Marvel, Dark Reign was happening. And a lot of characters and a lot of the oddball characters were tied up with, with the Avengers titles and, and the whole Dark Reign thing. So it was kind of tough to get some of the characters I wanted to play with. Um, but that seems to be uh, loosening up a little bit now. And, and uh, I've got some, some things going on with Marvel that uh, are going to let me have a little bit of fun. How much leeway are they giving you in terms of developing the character when it is a, you know, a second or third tier type character? Uh, pretty well. I mean, I, I can. I, there was a, a third tier character um, that I I rebooted to to make um, into a, a more interesting character. I called him the Broker. He was originally with um, uh, Damage Control, and uh, you know he was part of the the uh, uh, he was the one that was given the, the mutant growth hormones to Nitro, and he blew up and so on. And I kind of I kind of took him and made him more of a of a calculating CEO rather than a, a supervillain, and that that was a lot of fun. 
Um, and I, aside from from using those small characters, though, um, I've actually had some some good leeway in in giving mainstream characters a little bit of um, uh, of my own spin. Um, I, I I wanted to go in my, in my own direction with uh, Doctor Doom and Doom War, and they gave me a pretty free hand with that. Really? Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to do old school, not ranting Dr. Doom, very calculating, very smart, uh, very layered approach to things. I don't like hysterical villains. I never have. <laughs> right. Good. <laughs> uh, I like the villain who is self-aware, who knows that he's a villain and, um, has his own agenda. And for, you know, Dr. Doom was always one of my favorites and I wanted him to be dignified and, and dangerous as hell. So I, I got a chance to introduce him in my Black Panther power arc. And then we spun that off into Doom War, and uh, a lot of people have said that they really enjoyed that take on on Doom. That it's it's the old school Doom that they really liked from say the Fantastic Four uh, in the '80s, uh, like uh, not like '86, '85. You know those issues of of the original Fantastic Four, where he was an honorable man as well as a, a deadly enemy. Yeah, you can count me as one of those people. I loved that scene in Doom War when he was dealing with the Panther God and just all that stuff about, you know, he really believes all of his, you know, megalomaniacal <laughs> goals are are really for the better. And yeah, Doom War, uh, you really elevated Doom, at least in my eyes on that one. And uh, well, hands, hats off to you on that. Yeah, I, at some point I'd like to do Doom World, which is something I, I have a pitch in now for, which is a sequel to that, you know, where he tries to bring about that world through, through a different means. And uh, I just get a flash of Wolverine with a gun, though, pointing at the, <laughs> at the, <planet>. <laughs> the <laughs> astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine where it's the doom world. Yeah. Uh, and one of the actually one of the characters I enjoy most writing is is Deadpool. I love him oh. as a character. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> as a supporting character. Well, I think that he's stronger as a supporting character than as a main character. I, I mean, Vince and I were talking about that. And it's funny because, I mean, we've done a lot of complaining about Deadpool in a variety of series where it's just, he's too much to take. And yet when you give him a smaller supporting role, and as long as he's well-written, he's fantastic. Yeah, and there's a lot to him. And I've always approached the character in that he's not nearly as crazy as he pretends, so he uses crazy as, a, as one of his weapons, one of his, his, his barriers, um, but is able to control his degree of crazy when he wants to. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy writing that kind of a character. But I, if, if he was the main, you know, the star of, the, of, of a book I was writing... I would bring in so many guest stars that he would wind up being the guest, uh, the, the the second character in his, his own, own book. Series. <laughs> yeah, and they tried to do that with with uh, Deadpool team up. Right. Yeah, and that, that I, I, I actually enjoyed a lot of those team up issues more than the actual exactly. Deadpool stuff. Yeah, and and I, I you know, I, I, I some of the Deadpool comics are a lot of fun. The, the Deadpool Max tends to be a little little more fun for me because um, I, I you know like the edgy. Deadpool a little better, but I, I do think he shines best as a supporting character. Okay. Um, so what have you been reading lately then? Um, my, the, the thing I'm actually uh, really enjoying aside from the walking dead, which, uh, you know, I just absolutely love that comic, um, Baltimore, the curse bells, uh, Christopher golden and Mike Mignola. Absolutely love that. Um, been a big fan of that character since they first introduced him. Um, long time Hellboy, long time BPRD fan. Um, so I've been reading, reading that for a while, but the curse bells and, and the previous Baltimore stories, I, I really like, um, they speak, they, 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 they speak to me. I'm a folklorist by hobby and, and it delves pretty deep into the darker aspects of folklore. 
You know, it's funny, I've actually got a bunch of those that I bought, and I just never got around to reading them yet. I've got a stack of comics, too, just like you, that I just haven't <laughs> had the time to read yet. But, oh, look, they're shiny, so I buy them. Uh, but I've been, I've heard so many good things about it, I've been wanting to read it. Yeah, and, and Chris Golden's a buddy of mine, and Mike, Mike Mignola was a buddy of mine. So, you know, I, I love when people I know do really exceptional work, because, you know, then then you're not ever giving lip service when you say, man, that was great comic. Sure. Um, so the other thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm catching up on um, uh, Secret Warriors. I, I had never read it and I got the trade paperbacks and I'm really digging it. You know, I, I, Howling Commandos, you know, and, and the, um, the, kind of, the kind of a new reboot of, of, of Hydra. And I like that. I, you know, I did some of that in Captain America myself. And people were asking me if I if I had read Secret Warriors and, and knew what Jonathan Hickman was doing with with Hydra. And I, I didn't. But now I do. And um, we apparently had similar ideas that Hydra should be a much older and more interesting organization. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one myself. I, I loved the new supporting characters he introduced in that many. Yeah. You were talking about the, the Walking Dead. Are you getting caught up or you've read them all and you're just reading the newest ones? I've been I've been a uh, I've been caught up with that comic longer than any right. other comic, um, for, probably from issue three, um, and it's it's one it's funny for a while there I wasn't reading comics I had stopped reading comics in the nineties and restarted when Marvel asked me to write for them, but the only comics I, w- I was reading during that break were Hellboy and Walking Dead. Right. You know, so I, I've been I've been catching up I, I've been with that the whole time and. Loving the ride. Now, okay, well, what do you think about what's going on now then? Because Vince and I have talked about this a little bit because basically I have found that I've, I've loved the series as well, obviously. And I found, though, that since basically Carl getting shot in the eye, that it's kind of taken a turn. I know that there's always the, the, the hills and valleys kind of thing where it's they go through their lulls and whatnot. But I've found, unfortunately, that the lull here has been a good couple of months. And I'm finding that as the as it's starting to ramp up now, hope, I'm hoping that you read the last one, number 89. I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> but as it's starting to ramp up, it's nothing that we haven't already seen. And I'm wondering if he's hitting a point where there's not going to be that much new anymore. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I there are a lot of interesting directions he can go in, and I'm kind of hoping that he is going to go in the one the direction I want, which is, you know, a real all-out assault on the living dead. Uh, it's kind of where I thought it was going to go when you know Rick made that speech, you know, a couple issues ago, um, and I'm I'm kind of hoping that that's where he will go after this slump. And I I think the really? lag might might be that you know he was you know he was getting re- you know working so heavily on the show that you know he was kind of giving a placeholder so people can kind of step in and get to know characters during that lull but oh okay yeah i'm hoping that what we're going to see is it turn uh from a uh as a social drama that it's been for a while into an action comic for a while and well i'm hoping that's where it's going to go i the only problem that i have with that theory though is that for the last little while, the whole point that he's been making is that he wanted to be to build a place that could be secure for he and and Carl and the rest of his group kind of thing. And hence the fortifying with everything around the town and slowly edging it out kind of thing. It wasn't anything that was all balls out, go out and kill everything. I, although I agree with you, I think that would be the best course of action, especially right. with the, the number 100 issue coming up kind of thing. You yeah. want to ramp up for something good. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he has something planned for us, too. But the, the one thing about expansion, I mean, we've seen from human history, we, we can expand with all the best intentions, and then eventually we're going to get to somebody else's backyard, and then we're going to want to go over and take their backyard away from them. Yeah. 
And I, I, I think, you know, I hope he is building up to the moment where they can't expand any more without attacking. Um, it just, to me, that, that's what I'm reading into his subtext. And I know often I, I read into comics what I would prefer to write. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but pretty often Bob Kirkman's uh, hit the note that I was looking for. Um, I remember when, when they had the whole governor story and, and you know, um, Rick was, you know, went, went in there and, and um, you know, we, we thought that one, you know, the, the, the one character was dead. We thought he was dead. And then it just simply, you know, Rick, Rick, the whole story got, got mean and nasty for a while. And I, I was hoping Bob would go there. And he did. In fact, he went really, really far. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> but I like that. I like that. I it's one of those series wherein not only do you do you, do you not know what's going to be happening to any of the characters at any point, but also I have enough faith in in the writer that I know that he is not afraid to tackle very dark things as well so as bad as things can get i know they can get worse and it's just been that right now since basically again since carl has been shot that it's been a fairly long lull now again if he's padding it because of the the series then that that a lot of people are jumping on right now and you know i think i think it would be difficult for him to have too dramatic a plot point happening right now until at least two or three weeks of the series is is going on tv then, you know, because people can come in, they can get a sense of what's going on. They can get the character guide that's out, you know, that they put out. They can get up to speed. And that way, when, when he starts rolling toward that, that issue 100, I, I think by that point, we're going to see some serious momentum. Now, have you watched the uh, the season opener for this year? I'm watching it after we're done here. Oh, damn it. We can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I will say is this. And Vince, I don't know if you'll agree with me. Who the hell are these people? Because they are not the people from The Walking Dead. Yeah, I, I'm getting a lot of that, especially. Yeah, so not to ruin anything. The, basically, what I've had to do while watching this is basically cast aside any idea that these are the characters from the comic book and try to enjoy it as its own story, having absolutely nothing to do anymore with The Walking Dead. And, and here's why I think that's okay. Um, if, if they did exactly the comic, there'd be nothing to look forward to each week because I've already read the freaking comic. And I read it again when it came out in trade paperback. So I know the story. I don't want to go there and just have somebody dramatize everything that I already know. And I, you know, I kind of face this from from Bob's point of view too because they were going to develop at one point uh, my, my novel Patient Zero was in a serious development for ABC um, and by the way ABC last minute decided instead of doing that they were going to do Charlie's Angels instead <laughs> oh man how'd that and, work out for them <laughs> and, and I'll say this about that no comment uh, but you know, oh, when they, when I feel they your writing, pain. <laughs> yeah, when they were writing the script, they they got Javier Grillo Markswash, uh, the guy from Middlemen, um, to to write the script, and he he wrote a great script. But it wasn't my book, and I'm okay with that because you know my my readers have already read my book. Um, this would be something that they wouldn't expect, but it would still have you know enough of the same elements that would be in the same world. Um, that the people who wanted the pure stuff can go back to the book or in Bob's case to the comic, the people who want uh, something that works for a much larger audience 
would have a TV show. Now, my only rebuttal with that would be that, and I agree with you that that's fine. My only thing would be that it would have been nice at least if the characters had stayed true to who they are. Now, I understand that who a character is is prone to change based on the actions that take place in those stories. And so if the stories are different, you're going to wind up with different characters. However, we saw a remarkable difference in the characters immediately with the TV series. And it has not... Not that much time has passed, and not that much has happened since the um, since the, the the seasons began or last season began, kind of thing. That the characters should be that different. So again, yeah. it, I don't have a problem with it per se. Um, I had to completely disassociate it from the comic book series, and being a long time time fan of the series, that's what made it a little disappointing because I think that they could have stuck true to the characters and still had them in different situations and whatnot and eventually change them and still pulled off a hell of a good series. But unfortunately, I think that they, they relied too, too much on Hollywood and TV cliches to try to basically wrap all of the characters up in cookie cutter stereotypes. And that's part of what I have a problem with. And, and you may you may actually be describing to a great degree why Frank Darabont is no longer there. Yeah. Um, because he's been fighting the studio since since that show started to do things, you know, uh, in a more, in a bigger, more dramatic way, and he's been getting fought on it. And and some of the the things that they've had to change resulted in them st st straying further and further away from the comic and going more and more into uh, a, a, a drama where it's you know about these people. And to do that, they're going to have to write new stuff and create new personality tropes. Um, I'm. The two characters, though, that I really dig in the in the show, that I I like the the interpretations uh, are uh, Shane and Rick. Um, I hope they go in the direction that Rick becomes more and more crazy as the series goes on. Right now, he's 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 becoming he's a, a limp hero. I, I I I don't even think he's becoming a hero. He's becoming a freaking wimp. He's I, I okay. Damn it! I'm I don't want to ruin I this episode. I don't, I don't want. <laughs> but I I don't like where they're taking Rick at all. Ironically, the one that I'm liking the most right now is the one that I liked the least at the beginning. That's not even part of the freaking comic book, and it's a dude with the crossbow. What's his name again? Oh. Vince? Yeah, well, I can't what remember his name. name? Like that. Oh, man, he yeah. comes through in he's this yeah. in this first episode. You'll love him, and it's like I, he's not even in the freaking comic book, <laughs> and he's stealing it right now. Yeah, and you know it's funny. You see that variation of a character in a yeah. lot of stuff. A lot. Of, I mean, hell, going back to Buck Rogers when the interview introduced the character of Hawk, he was this badass, you know, killer as alien animal half bird guy. Um, that you really liked so much that he was more interesting than than uh, Buck Rogers, and you got a character right there. He's more interesting than than any almost any other character in the story. And when he started off again, we were talking about that when it started the, last year. It was a caricature. It was a stereotype of a character, yeah. basically that they made. And yet now they've done enough work on him that. Right now, he's he's stealing it. Okay, yeah. let's actually move away from that now and talk about some of your work. Now, prior to writing for comic books, you did a lot of work on novels. And just to let people know, you've written adult novels. You've got Patient Zero, The Dragon Factory, The King of Plagues. You've written adult horror. You've got Ghost Road Blues, uh, Dead Man's Song, Bad Moon Rising. You've done the movie adaptation for The Wolfman. And you've done the young adult post-apocalyptic zombie series, which so far includes Rotten Ruin and Dust and Decay. 
Now, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of books to scare the bejesus out of basically every age group. All you're missing is some scary picture books for kids to round it out, basically. And, and, uh, you know, if, if I could get my agent to shop one, I've got a couple in my, in my mind, but uh, she won't shop them. <laughs> we'll we'll so see how that plays out, though. But, so uh, with so much of your work being horror-themed, what really appeals to you about that genre? Um, it's funny. I, I, a lot of people ask me the question. They ask me why I write about monsters, and I don't. I write about people who fight monsters, who oppose darkness, so to speak. Um, that comes from you know my own background. I was I was I grew up in a very abusive household in a very dangerous neighborhood, and I learned how to get tough. You know, I, I started taking martial arts kind of on the sly when I was a kid. I got tough real fast, and I've been involved in martial arts my whole life. And I've taught women self defense and self defense to. Uh, in every special interest group that's out there, you know, handicapped and, and, and so on. I like stories where people, ordinary folks, get tough enough to, to, to fight the darkness. Monsters allow you to tell that story without intruding into anyone's particular politics or, or social agenda. You know, it doesn't have to be a you know, red state, blue state sort of thing. It's a monster. Okay, bad guy, we can fight that. So I, I get to play, you know, good guys versus bad guys um, in a way that, that – appeals to people they people like fantastic stories and uh, i like the dark stuff it's funny because when i was reading rotten ruin and i'm seeing all of the martial arts stuff there and i spent over a dozen years studying martial arts until my knees couldn't take it anymore and i studied a lot of work when you're talking about bokens and all that i was telling vince i have a beat up one in my closet i did all of that and it was funny because as i'm reading you describing it in in the book and whatnot it was so very accurate and so well done that it you can tell when somebody has that experience and it came through really well and not just like somebody who'd done a little bit of research kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, about 40, 48 years in, in jujitsu right now. Nice. Very nice. The, uh, it's funny because when we were talking via emails too, I was saying how the, the thing with the zombie stories is that it's, it's, it's always popular. And like you were saying too, it's, it, it's because of the fact that it's not a story about zombies, it's a story about people. And that's something that Vince and I had talked about when The Walking Dead had first come out, and uh, my analogy was, again, to Battlestar Galactica when I was explaining it to people who didn't want to watch a zombie show, and I'd say it's the same thing as with BSG. It's not It's not a, a, a sci-fi show, it's a drama. It just happens to be set right. in a sci-fi universe. And that's what I'm finding with your work, like with Rotten Ruin and Dust and Decay, it's... Yes, it's a zombie, post-apocalyptic zombie story, but it's very much a story about those people. It just happens that they're in that setting. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the basis of, of all drama, really. Um, I mean, look, look at Star Trek, for example, the original Star Trek. You know, in the 60s, they did a story about uh, two races that were at war. One was black on the right side and white on the left. The other one was black on the left side and right on the white. It was a, it was a story about racism. They couldn't have done a straight story about racism on TV in the 60s. But you can use science fiction or yeah. fantasy or horror to tell that story, make your point and get it there. And that's why we love fantastical stories. It's why I love writing them. You can tell any as much truth as you want there. And it's always, it always comes down to what what the experience of real people. And with those books as well, the last two, and I haven't read all your other ones, but they're on my list now. But uh, with the, those two that I read, which are young adult books as well, you did a fantastic job in that at no point did you talk down to the audience, which is, it was, it, that's very important. And that's a, a medium that I love writing in as well, young adult. I've already written one and I'm working on a series as well now. I love I love writing for that audience. I think that it's not just that it clicks for me and it works and I enjoy it, but also I like the importance of encouraging young people to read. Does that factor in at all with you? 
Absolutely. Uh, I, I had um, a couple of people early on in my life um, at crucial times encourage me to read. I, I got to meet Ray Bradbury and Richard Matheson when I was 14. Wow. <laughs> and they, I mean, they, they took some time to actually, you know, give me some advice on, on, on writing and also on, on, on how to read, you know, how to, how to find the love of reading. It's not just schoolwork. Um, and I've always tried to encourage that. And I teach an experimental writing for teens class. And, and it, one of my teens actually now has an agent. She's, who's, she's getting her shirt, first book shopped around. Three others have agents waiting for their stuff. And, um, you know, I found that, you know, just by working with teens, I, I, I have such great respect for their intellect um, their their ability to 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 grasp very complex and very um, important issues that a lot of parents do adults don't give them credit for. One of the best things that I've done actually is work with my my youngest son on another series that we're working on. We're we're working on a series that we can write together kind of thing, and he loves to write as well. Yeah. I mean, he's seen me write all the time, and he's fourteen now. And what was great was that. I mean, I'd read some of the stuff he'd, he'd written, which was justifiably very good. And that's not just proud father. It was, it was justifiably quite good. And But when I was thinking about this project together, I was thinking, okay, well, I'll probably do the majority of the writing, but we'll do a lot of the outlining and whatnot together. And what I found, especially when you're brainstorming together and, and listening to the ideas coming out, he's coming out with things that I never would have thought of. The, the, their brain works completely differently and makes leaps that you yourself would not make as an adult. That's well. Partly, it's it's absolutely true, and partly it's because as adults, we're so often told um, those two things don't go together, or that's a silly idea, and you know we get this negative reinforcement all the time, so that by the time we're adults, we stop trusting in our own imagination, and and kids haven't yet been uh, damaged that way; they haven't been corrupted that way, and uh, good parents can can encourage kids to to enjoy the the scope and range of their own imagination. Um, that's, I think, to me, one of the signs of good parenting is that the, the kids you know, enjoy using their imagination and are free to, to think whatever they want to think. I, I, well, both my wife and I agree, obviously. I write and my wife's an artist, so we have a very beautiful home full of books and art, and we always encourage the kids to, to you know, use their imagination, to, to be free and not to be afraid to take a lot of chances and things like that. So I think it's important. Now, in terms of, of writing, obviously, again, you've written for all manner of age groups. Are you finding that the young adult is a your, one of your preferences right now? I notice that you actually have a ton of writing about that on your site right now, too. Yeah, I, I, I love writing for the, the young adult market. Um, and I think is when I'm actually writing the book, it, it, it doesn't even occur to me that I'm writing for teens. Yep. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll dial down a little bit of the language, but I, I don't, I don't change my vocabulary. Otherwise, I don't change the complexity of my ideas, uh, and I love writing for that market. One of the things that that appeals to me most is the fact that the market isn't broken down into a lot of subgenre. Um, you know, so you can have, you know, cross genre things like you can have a post-apocalyptic west western zombie story that's, you know, uh, you know, all in one story. You know, that's rot ruin as a post-apocalyptic zombie western essentially. Even though it's you know it's futuristic, you, you know people have written steampunk Victorian romance uh, adventures in, in for YA. You couldn't sell that you know for the adult crowd, so it allows you to write uh, the, these genre mashups so that you tell the story you really want to tell without fear you know being afraid that it's not going to fit on a bookshelf. And the kids don't care; they don't care what kind of where it fits in the bookshelf. They just will want to fall in love with the story from the get go. Yeah, what they care about is that if at any point they feel that you are writing down to them, you lost them. Yeah, I agree. You lost them. 
It's funny, I was, uh, and I was telling you this too as I'm reading this, and it's funny because there's been a few coincidences here I've noticed as I've been prepping for this interview, and uh, because I've done some writing as well and the young adult stuff and things like that, and the series I'm working for is a zombie series, and then I'm reading all the martial arts stuff in there, and it was funny because as I'm reading it at one point, then I get to the point where you name the the erosion artist in <laughs> Rotten Ruin, and I read the name and my jaw dropped a little bit, and it's of course Rob Cicchetto, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious because you've got him and he winds up being an important character in the first book as well. Very well written. I'm sure he was pleased with that. But what's hilarious is that Rob Cicchetto illustrated my freaking young adult novel that I wrote (laughs) years ago. That's that's crazy. I just thought it was hilarious. And Rob is such a fantastic guy. And the books have finally shown up from Amazon. I got them yesterday. So I got to see the cards that he drew as well. And I mean, typical Rob stuff. They're fantastic. Yeah. Rob, Rob is an amazing artist. Uh, oh, I met yeah. him for the first time at um, World Horror Con in Toronto uh, in 2007, I guess it was. And um, I had seen his stuff online. I thought, wow, how cool is it? The guy basically does zombie portraits for a living. Now, that's a dream job. Um, probably looks a little strange on a resume once in a while, but it's a dream job. And, his uh, last job looked a lot worse than that one, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, his, his wife's mentioned that, that yeah. a couple of interesting, interesting things. Yeah. And we all have, too. I was a bouncer in a strip club for a while, so yeah. we all have interesting resume hits. Um, but then I got to know him and his wife, and they're just such charming people, and he's such a great guy. And he, he's another one that likes to take risks. I mean, you throw a challenge at him artistically, he's like, most, you know, some writers or some artists would like, no, I, 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 that's not my thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, cool. Let me try that. Right. Rob, and I definitely appreciate that that kind of, you know, let me dive in and then see if there's water in the pool sort of attitude. Yeah, I uh, I got to know Rob because I worked with his wife and we were very, very close. And uh, and so then got to know Rob. And what was funny is that I got him to work with me uh, to make the illustrations for the, the young adult novel. And then as time went by, he was working on some of his own comics. But at the time, there wasn't really the creator own stuff. It was hard to flog your own work kind of thing to the big boys. And... Yeah. His work was so unbelievable. And that's why we actually worked on the comic. We have one issue done. But that's why we worked on that. Because I told him, I said, like, I, it just, it bothered me so much seeing this man's talent going to waste and not doing anything. So I said, we'll work on something. and We'll see if we can make a go at it. Like, the, the man is unbelievable. And what killed me, though, is that... I mean, I'd go and see him one day and he'd have a whole bunch of stuff done and he'd show me and then go the very next day and he's got a couple more pages. The devotion that he had to his craft was unbelievable. Yeah, and he's he's really fast. It's funny, the way he, way he got to do the zombie cards in my book, uh, I had, for the heck of it, had him uh, commission him to do a, uh, my author portrait, my author photo, rather, as a zombie uh, uh, painting. <laughs> which was <laughs> awesome. Which was just freaking awesome. But I, I, ha- I did that before I even came up with the idea for Rotten Ruin. Um, and then after I had that, I, I decided just for the heck of it, I'll, I'll send a JPEG of it to my publisher. And he comes back to me and said, uh, this is, is this the same guy that's in the book? And I said, yeah. You know, I, 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 had, I wrote him into Rotten Ruin. He says, do you think we could use that as your actual author photo in the book? And I'm like, uh, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> because that would be just incredibly cool. I've got a lot of mileage out of that. And then, then you know, uh, the art director said, "Well, do you think this guy would be interested in doing the zombie cards for the book? Uh, because, who, you know, who better?" And I'm like, "Yeah, exactly. Who better?" So he, he's he's done five for each book, and he'll do five for the next, you know, each of the next two books. And he and I are talking about doing some uh, some projects together where people can can get their own zombie cards 
made um, from you know by by Rob with text by me um, as a little 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 business we're, th we're throwing together. And it should oh, be a whole. That's fantastic. Yeah, we've had so many. I think people you found a couple customers. Yeah, <laughs> I I've been wanting Rob to make it in this industry industry since the first time I saw his work, and so this this could not make me happier. Yeah. So and I, I like seeing good guys get ahead too. Oh well, that's the thing too, and you can't ask for nicer than Rob. Well, he's just a big freaking teddy bear. He's fantastic to talk to and and hilarious. And then when you see the talent and the work that he does, so no, seeing more stuff between the two of you that'll be great. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. All right, so moving over more to the comic side of things, you had mentioned that you hadn't even really been reading comics for years. So how did you make that transition from writing novels into writing comics? Well, uh, the, the way the whole thing started is I, uh, I got a phone call just out of the blue um, from Axel Alonso, who's now the editor-in-chief of Marvel, um, just saying, hey, I just finished reading you know, your novel, Patient Zero, and, and uh, would you have any interest in possibly writing for Marvel? Um, which is uh, one of the stranger questions I've ever been asked. <laughs> and this, this is one of the reasons I'm glad the question was asked via phone because I have a pretty good business-like phone voice when I'm talking to you know talking to Chop, and I'm like, oh, well, of course, if we work out the numbers, you have to talk to my agent, you know, it's like yada yada. Physically, I'm doing the Snoopy dance. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, and then, you know, then he, you know, the first project he gave me, actually gave me two projects right around the same time. One was a, an eight-page Wolverine short called, uh, for a backup piece for Wolverine the Anniversary. And, um, you know, I, Wolverine's always been one of my favorite characters. I always, always thought he's a character that I would, you know, would have loved to write from the beginning because I, I like the, the damaged soul, you know, the... the, the no, no, no. He's, he's awesome because he's Canadian. Let's not... Vince around here. That's what it is. <laughs> that, that, that's right. I, I secretly long to be Canadian. There you go. Um, but he, I, I've, I've always liked how, how the character is, again, smarter than people think he is. He, um, and he's wrestling with inner demons. And you know, he's got all that good stuff. So I, he offered me that. Um, and he also asked me if I'd ever, uh, if I would write a Punisher Max story. And the Max series started after I stopped comics. So I had no idea what, what the Max series was. And... Um, you know, he, he basically told me what it was and said, you know, what I want is something that's over the top, over the top, over the top. And I can do over the top. So <laughs> I, I, I sent in a script uh, that was for me over the top. And yeah, I got a call from him, like, are you crazy? We can never put this in a comic book. Oh, my God. This is... <laughs> so we asked him to dial it down. And uh, the version that went out, which is Punisher Naked Kills, a lot of people say is, you know, one of the more over the top uh, Punisher Max stories, but it, for me it was the dialed down version. Now um, I really need to find that. I one. was just going to say, feel free to email that to me. Yeah. I would love uh, to read it. Yeah, this I'll have to to drag out the original script. Uh, you cannot put it online, by the way. I would not even dream of that. But yeah, we might was... giggle about it and talk about it ever so briefly on the show, but that'd be it. And I also. Uh, as I do with a lot of my stuff, uh, a lot of the characters in my, my stories, including that one, there are characters named after people I know. And there's a character named Dirtbox, uh, whose name, uh, his, the character's real name is Dennis Tafoya, who's a, a very no noted novelist, um, is a literary crime novelist. And so I just turned him into a, um, a low-life pedophile um, pornographer, and he was delighted with it. <laughs> Because he's in a comic book, you know, he doesn't care what he's doing in the comic book. That's book. awesome. And, and he gets tipped off by the Punisher. He's like, "Yes, 
<laughs> you know that issue is framed somewhere. He's got it. I, and the thing is, the guy's a Quaker, you know. So you know, I, I don't know. I've got a I've got a strange bunch of friends, is what it boils down. It would appear, yeah. Yeah, and I keep most of them. I kill off at one point or another. I just told one of my friends last night that I. I, you know, I, I had him chewed up by zombies. He's like, oh, thank you. Like, I didn't just buy you a car or something. I just had you chewed off. You're, like, not, you're not getting any royalties from this because you got eaten in my book. Yeah. Now, he's, now he's going to go out and buy a whole bunch of the books. You know, so, okay. So right now you're currently writing both novels and comics. Has your approach been any different uh, between the two mediums? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the comics... Uh, are a lot shorter. My my novels tend to be pretty long. I mean, 500 yeah, pages yeah. is about my average length. Um, the the one I have coming out in in uh, next next Tuesday is a little shorter. It's about 380 pages. Dead of night. Um, but my I tend to write longer stories. And um, when you write comics, even though they're written in you know, four to six issue arcs, you, you, there was a real um, process for me of learning how to yield control over. The story from you know the visual descriptions and dialogue I like to use to allowing the the artist to be a, a, a major participant in that process, and you know fortunately I got to work with some artists who were very patient with me and also helped me understand the visual storytelling process. Uh, you know I worked with Tom Coker you know right from the beginning and Lawrence Campbell was you know was on my first book. Uh, Scott Eaton on Doom War was amazing to work with. Um, so I, I got to work with some really great guys, uh, Goran Parlov, and um, now I really get the whole, you know, less is more in terms of dialogue and, and more is more in terms of art. Um, and now I write that way. You know, I'm, I'm, I tend to write less in each panel, um, but with lots of notes and discussions with the artists. And so it's, it's, it's a change because it's completely different than the way I write novels. Uh, I tend to write my novels um, big and even then, you know, I pare them down a little bit, but it's but it's all inside my own head, and this is this is actually a team effort. When, when I was working with Rob on the uh, when I'd gone to see uh, him to talk about him about working together and whatnot, at that point we hadn't decided that we were going to be working on my young adult horror, and it was just going to be something different. So we talked about it. And he said, "Yeah, that'd be great." So at that point, I'd already written a few novels and short stories and picture books and all kinds of stuff, and uh, not saying it was all good. Obviously, it wasn't. But, but I had that experience on my belt of of the written word, but in in longer pieces and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I worked on a script for uh, uh, I can't even remember what it was now, and I worked on something and I showed it to. Him. and I talked to him a few days later and he just had this pain look on his face and it's that you know that he wants to say it's crap but he doesn't want to hurt your feelings kind of thing and yeah. I said no no be honest I, I, I want honesty and he said no one's going to read this it's terrible he says you don't understand how you have to pace differently for a comic book and at that point I'd stopped reading comic books because I'd stopped reading comic books when I was about 15, 16 and I only just restarted back again a few years ago so it was good to find out, you know, yeah, you got to start framing things way differently. It's a, it's an entirely different art form. It, it is. It really is. It's, it's actually a lot more like writing for television than it is writing a novel. That Well, yeah, it makes sense, actually, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, each uh, – there's you know, multiple story arcs within a – even within a 22-page comic, there's multiple story arcs, you know, character arcs and so on um, that you don't have, you know, a lot of pages to play out. 
And some of that has to be done by art because if you try to put it in the in the dialogue, you're just going to clutter up the page. Yeah, it's funny because now as we're doing the podcast and we're we're seeing so many other uh, different things now, we're we're reading up on huge series just so that we can talk about them for folks and whatnot, and kind of dissecting it a lot more. And it's it's fantastic how we can. You, you can really appreciate when the writer really has a good grasp of what it is that they're doing, as opposed to someone who quite obviously is not get there kind of thing. And that's one of the things that we really liked about your work as well. Okay. One of the things that I noticed as well, like with your, your Marvel Universe versus series, both of them, um, and comparing them to your zombie novels, there's obviously a lot of similarities. And I mean, was that something that you thought about beforehand that you had this opportunity to do something? And it's not zombies because we got quite a bit of that right now but it's this amped up version of you know th that post-apocalyptic setting well yeah i mean to to a degree this marvel zombies you know exists and i even worked in marvel zombies did, you know worked on marvel zombies return but this this was uh an homage to uh two other bits of source material i am legend by richard matheson yep. Yep. the book <laughs> not, not, not the movie the book <laughs> um and george romero's the crazies the original version of the crazies um, I mean, he, he not only did he create the zombie genre, he created the rage virus uh, genre because that movie back in was 72 or three was the first rage virus movie. And without that, we wouldn't have had 28 days later or any of the other films. So, you know, to me, it was it was that story played out in the Marvel Universe. And um, when I originally pitched this to Marvel, um, there were two things that I used for the pitch. One, I said um, that it's it's. Uh, the Punisher, you know, it's, it's, it's I Am Legend told from the point of view of the Punisher. Um, and the working title was Last Gun on Earth. I think that was the entire pitch that got them to greenlight it. <laughs> That's all I need. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, there, there was at one point uh, some discussion of it becoming one of the big cross-continuity things uh, under the name of Marvel Infected. Um, but they, you know, at right around the time that that was happening, they decided to, to, to go and, and do a, um, a different cross continuity storyline. Um, so I just kind of pulled back. So now I essentially have my own little franchise. I mean, we're already working on the third one that I can't tell you the title of yet. Um, but it's, can it's, you tell us some of the characters that are in it? Can no, you tell us perhaps one of the characters that might be in more panels than some of the others? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Uh, let put it this way. Uh, it, it rolls back. It, it, it's almost overlapping in, ter uh, in time frame with, with Wolverine. So you're going to get more of Captain America's story in that. Okay. And uh, a little more of the Hulk's story in that. Okay. And a little more of other characters that I can't name because then you'd guess what the hell the story behind is. <laughs> we'll get it out of you yet. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it, but it, it should be fun, and, and I'm not sure whether I'll be working with, with Lawrence on it or whether I'll be wor working with Goran Parlov, who did the, the uh, Punisher series. Um, but it's Love them both. Yeah, oh, my God, they're both great guys. You know, and that, now, going back to talking about, about uh, the interesting writing process, um, when I first started working with Goran for um, uh, the Punisher series, you know, he lives in, he's Croatian. Um, so when I would write a scene set in, in, in Central Park – you know, he doesn't know Central Park. Um, a, a, you know, forest near where he lives looks like a forest. So I had, a, I wound up having to use a lot of JPEGs um, of, of you know, very iconic images from New York in order for him to be able to, to draw the comic. <laughs> and that that's kind of fun, too, because 
uh, we were able to, to tweak some some very classic photos of New York into that storyline. And um, some New York folks have caught it and, and you know, sent me notes saying, hey, is that, you know, so-and-so's photo? I'm like, yes, it is. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, you know, my, my tipping of the hat to, uh, to Manhattan as well. Well, it's given you a little bit more freedom as well then in that case for you as the writer to be sending photos specifically of what it is that you would like in specific scenes as well. I would think that it's, again, giving you a lot more, I don't want to say control, but more input in, in what you want it to look like as well. It, it does, but at the same time, it schools me in, in, in the visual story playing, or storytelling. So it, it allows me to get inside the artist's head when framing the shots. Uh, it also gives me an idea of, of how not to clutter up a panel with too much dialogue because you've got interesting art there. Yeah. Uh, and so, that's some, something so many writers have a hard time with is dialing back the, the, the word balloons because we really don't need to put as many words in as we think we do. I agree. It's it's funny because that's something that I I studied myself doing through poetry is you work on saying the least amount, using the least amount of words, say the most that you can within a, a short space. And that's what I noticed. I compared it immediately to good writing in comics, being able to, in a very, very short period, uh, say a ton. There has to be a lot written behind the scenes kind of things that you that you visually see. And and I love that when I see a writer who's able to do that. Yeah, exa exactly. And, you know, I, I did a panel um, at the Bram Stoker um, weekend in New, in New York um, a couple months ago. And I was doing a panel with um, Joe Hill and a uh, great guy, by the way. And he was talking about how the artist helped helped school him because, you know, he's a novelist and he tends to want to fill up the page. The artist kind of challenged him to, to see if he can get down to no words at all on the page. Um, <laughs> Which is, by the way, a heck of a challenge for a writer because you really have to trust both the artist and the uh, uh, the reader. I mean, great. Uh, and by the way, a lot of people think that that we're still in those days when the artist would draw the comic and then give it to the writer to kind of do like a Mad Libs version of just filling in the uh, the word balloons. We 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 haven't done that in a long time in comics. Um, you know, the writer writes a f very comprehensive script with lots of art direction and, you know, then you know, editor and, and artist get involved and so on. But eventually you want to distill it down to, to uh, story told in images with words, hmm. not necessarily story told with words with some images. I loved your pitch, uh, what you were saying about I Am Legend, because if there was one person I could think of that would live through a zombie apocalypse, it would probably be the Punisher. Yeah. But it, was there anything character-wise that really made you choose Frank Castle over, say, Wolverine or Captain America or some of the other characters we've seen? Um, yeah, it was – well, this is kind of talking out of school a little bit here. Um, but my original idea for the series was a one-and-done with no possible sequel. Um, and it was all based on what I wanted to do with Frank Castle at the end of the story. And um, I get it's funny, the success of this of, of the first couple of issues uh, changed that because when we got to the fourth issue, Marvel decided they definitely want more stories told in that world. So I couldn't do the ending I intended. But it was all built around oh. a, a Frank Castle ending that I wanted to do. And I can tell you, I guess I can tell you what the ending is. I was um, going to say, yeah, you could. Um because it, I mean, the, the the series is out now. It's 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 done, and and I am. But and by the way, before I tell you, I am actually satisfied with the ending we have. It is just wasn't one, the one I conceived. It, it, that would have been the right one had it been just a one shot. Right. So my, in my original ending, after all the 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 fighting, uh, the Punisher and a group of survivors, the people he's managed to rescue after believing that he's destroyed the whole world, 
found some survivors, got them out of Manhattan. There's, you know, a bunch of them sitting around a campfire and they're all really happy to be alive and really happy to have, to have escaped and, and, you know, very optimistic about the fact that they may even have a future. Punisher sitting to one side, drinking a cup of coffee, kind of a small smile on his face, feeling like maybe in just a little way he's redeemed himself. We turn the page, last page, he's sitting there drinking his coffee, and there was no one else there because there were no survivors. <laughs> Frank's lost his mind. <laughs> Frank has totally lost his mind. And I, you know, I that was, oh. that was my original pitch, and I, I still love that idea. That would have been awesome. It would have been awesome, but, but it would have been the end of the franchise. Well, um, not really, because it would have been the end uh, of of castle but you would have had still so many story opportunities weaving in other characters during the the fights and whatnot and i I did bring that up too but uh you didn't win that fight (laughs) and that's one of the realities of of comics is you know at the end of the day it's their comic their characters not mine i i can see their argument they 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 do want me to eventually go back to uh i mean i'm right now i'm writing prequel stories and at some point you know we're going to go back and, and find frank again in the future, you know, um, kind of picking up where the original series left off and go a little further with it. So um, I, I like the ending I have. I, I'm very satisfied with it. But at the same time, I would like to have seen what the reaction would have been to that ending. Oh, I think it would have been way, way better. And again, I still think it does open itself off uh, up to to other series. Now, speaking of which, though, it's funny because you kind of answered what I was going to ask in terms of how much planning there was while you were writing the second for a sec, or sorry, the first for a second series, because it, it's quite obvious then that you went back to it because like the scenes with the uh, Wolverine and the Punisher and Captain America fighting in that little circle of, of mobs all around them. And then when he has to put Captain America down and there's, there's glimpses of those things in the first one that you incorporated it into the second one. Yeah, I once once we kind of uh, when you know once I had turned the, the scripts in and, and the reaction at Marvel was so strong, uh, by the time it actually got to the point where the where the first issues were coming out, um, I went in and added a few things that laid the groundwork for other stories to tell, and I didn't want to tell all the stories up front because I could I could tell stories in that world for a long oh, yeah. time. You know, I, I it's one of those things where. Um, it's 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 very fertile ground for telling dark and compelling stories, and uh, I want to be the guy to tell those stories. And, and luckily, you know, it's 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 my um, my franchise, so I, I actually get to, <laughs> to That's do just that. So awesome! Why did you choose Spider-Man as the first inspect- infected? Um, he was always one of my favorite characters, and um, I, I I just like the idea that uh, the meek. Peter Parker would eventually become this, this dominant alpha that, you know, he couldn't hit be the superhero. He, he actually is. If there wasn't this, this dark, you know, um, power in him somewhere. So the plague allowed him to simply become the best that he can be, which is, you know, the patient zero of the plague and a very powerful predator. Well, I like the Wolverine's analogy of a lot of, he's been beat up by a lot, but nobody's ever managed to, to, to actually completely take him out. Yeah. And so it fit with that. It's funny because like in the Punisher series, the uh, Spider-Man was the main antagonist with the Hulk barely present. I mean, except for an arrow through the eye, <laughs> whereas in the Wolverine series, both played a much larger role, especially the Hulk. Right. And I'm wondering like, did the Hulk become something that you really wanted to spotlight in the Wolverine one because of that established? Wolverine versus the Hulk history? 
Uh, yeah, to a degree. Uh, and also because I, I wanted to, to finish telling the story of how the Hulk's wearing Wolverine's hand as a necklace. Um, and, I, you know, I got fought a little bit on Mar uh, by Marvel on that because they didn't want uh, anything that showed, you know, Wolverine's uh, adamantium being uh, being destroyed. But I'm thinking, no, and I built a good case. And one of the things <laughs> like about Marvel is if, if you really build a good case, there's a, a, a good chance they're, they're going to say, OK, that would make a, a, you know, a really cool thing. And this is an example of one. Um, you know, I, I said the whole, we, they've always said the, nobody knows the upper range of the Hulk's strength if he gets really just super pissed off. So let's give him a rage virus and play with that. Um, and then at the same time, you know, the, the torch went Nova. So they, we've already established that adamantium has to become liquid at some point. Everything has a melting point. So if you get the, the, the torch going Nova and the Hulk just becoming, you know, super rage Hulk. Yeah. Adamantium doesn't have a chance. You know what, dude? Vince, did you see that? I hadn't even thought. About I that. hadn't like, either. I, I just I caught onto the Hulk part, but the 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 torch stuff. I hadn't even thought of that. Because uh, I was thinking it was just that because he was so enraged that it got to that point where he could finally he was that powerful that he could snap the the, the adamantium. Yeah, that, that and that was the primary thing. I you know the, the whole the torch thing. I I just wanted to throw that in to to cement the deal and it actually <laughs> cemented it with Marvel. Um, but uh, and by the way, one of my favorite things in that in that whole series that the wolverine series was uh wolverine's speech uh and the hulk's <laughs> i had so much i was actually laughing out loud when i wrote that wait actually it's funny because i noticed that in other things as well in both of the series and i love how again when a good writer has got their hands on a, a serious subject matter and yet can still insert little quips here and there that are, are that don't detract from the importance of what's going on, but are still funny and kind of give you that release laughter that you need. Yeah. And we saw that with, um, in the first one where Castle throws the grenades at Deadpool, who's about to yeah. be stabbed, and he's, yeah. Deadpool says, dude, I'm never teaming up with you again. <laughs> and and then again, later on, too, with the we're going to need a bigger boat, which yeah. I love when you insert cult references in a comic because it helps tie the comic world to our real world. Yeah, I've actually been told to dial that down at times because I, I throw a lot of pop culture references and stuff. But I think but that's important. I, 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 I'm I with you on that one. That's why I put them in there. I usually get most of them snuck in at one point. In fact, um, in um, uh, I had this, this one series there called Claws of the Panther, uh, uh, which was a miniseries with Shuri, the Black Panther sister. And there's like tons of pop culture references in there. There's there's lots of there's Buffy, the Vampire Slayer references, a lot of Mystery Science Theater references. Um, and stuff that probably was a you know was breaking licensing laws because we have like <laughs> servo. <laughs> but you know what? Screw it. Uh, we're having fun. That character you know would have a Tom Servo you know in his little space shuttle. Yes, he would. <laughs> so, how much did your writing approach have to change uh, between the first miniseries and the second, going from the Punisher to Wolverine? How how they they are similar characters, but there are that nuance between the two of them. Well, the Wolverine, Wolverine is a nuanced character. Punisher is one note. Um, Punisher is, is a strange, strange character to write because they don't really encourage character development in that particular character. They want the Punisher to be the Punisher. He's, he's almost like Captain America in that he is a fixed known quantity. And they, they kind of want that. But Wolverine, you can mess with Wolverine in a, in a bunch of different ways. And 
you know, when, when I first wrote the, the ghost script, the eight-pager, I crawled inside his head and liked the territory. Um, I don't know if you guys have read that one. It's, it's now out in the trade paperback, uh, Fly, Wolverine Flies to a Spider, with the superb Bill Harms, William Harms story as the lead story for that. For that. No, I haven't uh, read that one. I'll have to. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an eight-pager with gorgeous artwork by Tom Coker. And uh, it's a meditation on death, you know, as Wolverine is fighting um, a bunch of ninjas. You know, he's just meditating on, on, on how close his, his, his relationship is with death. And I, I riffed on that a bit in, um, in, in the Wolverine miniseries because, I mean, that I get into that head very easily. I'm, I like both of those characters. I, I, I feel that I've done some of my best work writing with, you know, Punisher and Wolverine. But Wolverine, to me, is the most interesting to write because um, he has, he does have emotional range, and he is a little more self-aware of of who and what he is. Well, and, the thing too is, and we've talked about this quite a bit in prior episodes as well too. It, all too often, we're seeing Wolverine, and he's not being written well. It's he's the popular go-to character for them to sell comic books, and he's the one that looks the best on the covers with his his claws popped. However, all too often they're the character is just not well written or is far too two dimensional. And it's nice when you see the character really fleshed out much better. And, and that doesn't mean you have to spend, you know, tons of time in his head. It just means that by his actions, you're seeing so much more than you do in other series. And that's something we saw with this one. Well, thanks. And it's, it's something I actually teach when I, when I'm teaching writing is about understanding who the character is, understanding what, what the, that character is when they're in their integrity. And you have to stay within that character's integrity. If, if you go outside of that, you are not writing that character. You're writing dialogue for some, you know, somebody who looks like that character, but it's not, it's not the character. I could not agree more. Okay, so just to give a plug here for your latest novel that's going to be coming out, that's coming out on October 25th, and that is Dead of Night, and that's being published by St. Martin's Griffin. And that one is a... That's a zombie novel, and, and it's, is, it's actually my first standalone uh, novel, not counting the movie adaptation, The Wolfman. And uh, it's it, it, everyone's telling me it's my best writing, which I'm you know always happy to hear that when, with the new book. Nobody, you know, you never want to hear somebody say that first book you did was your best <laughs> <Yeah>. writing. <laughs> um, and in and, terms of uh, comics, what's coming up? Well, I just want to say one more thing about the Dead at Night thing. The same night that comes out, the same day that comes out, um, the History Channel is doing a two-hour special on zombies that I'm on with, along with Max Brooks and a few other folks, and uh, it's it's called Zombies: A Living History, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah it's it's October twenty-fifth, eight o'clock on the History Channel. That's awesome. Oh well, damn, I'll be watching that for sure. Yeah, should we podcast that night? <laughs> and of course, I won't be able to watch the thing as it's broadcast because I'm going to be at a local movie theater hosting a, a showing of 28 Days Later. You're keeping pretty busy lately. I sleep is for the week, you know? Yeah, no kidding. And in terms of comics, what's coming up? Well, With the exception, I'm, obviously, of the aforementioned third series that you're not going to tell us who it's about. Yeah, I can't tell you about that. Um, and actually, I've got two projects in development that I can't talk about. So I really can't. I, I'm doing something else for another company. Um, it is uh, a series that that was a video game and a, and a comic series, and now we're going to be they're going to be breaking out into a, a series of novels. But I'm not allowed to talk about that either. Um, but you're I'll making this very difficult. I, I I'm, I'm telling you, you know, just <laughs> these damn non-disclosure agreements. You know? you know what? NDAs were meant to be broken, and if you are wily with how you use examples, <laughs> as yeah. I, I have, games can be dangerous. <laughs> 
Uh, steampunk Western monsters. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> video game. I'm not going to say anything. But um, in any case, I'll, I will tell you this: that when when we can make the announcement, I'll be uh, I'll let you guys know. Um, and I'm, I am doing a, 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 something with the people at IDW for uh, something new. It's um, not a comic, though it probably will become a comic. It's called V Wars. It's a, a new shared world vampire anthology uh, series that I've I created for uh, IDW, and we're doing it as a as an, a print anthology first, and uh, definitely looking into uh, uh, doing you know comics and other things with it as as this, depending on how successful the series is. But it's um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's vampires that are scary. Nothing sparkles. You know, no no, no romantic vamp- crap. These these are scary scary vampires, <laughs> and uh, we're we're having fun. James James L. Moore and and Keith DeCandido and and Scott Nicholson and um, a couple other folks are involved in it. Gregory Frost, Nancy Holder, uh, and Von Navarre are all involved in that. And we're and they're they've already turned in some some incredible stories. So I think there'll be great comic adaptations, and a couple of them have worked in comics too. Hmm. So not talking about the third versus series at all we're not even talking about it yeah at all but not talking about punisher and wolverine what is a one character in the marvel universe that you would really like to tackle not as it pertains of course to the marvel universe versus Uh, franchise well uh the one that they'd never let me touch really and that is Uh, howard the duck what (laughs) come on you lost me you just lost me no. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. I would love to do a one shot of Howard the Duck teamed up with Deadpool in the Marvel Universe, uh, <laughs> Marvel Universe versus series. That that would be just too much fun. No, seriously, the the character I'd most like to write is Blade. Really? Uh, yeah, I've got a Blade a Blade pitch in to Marvel right now. Um, I've got I actually sent in a whole bunch of, of, of things. I actually sent in one pitch that. Um, if, 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 if Marvel goes for it, it may be the best thing I, I will have written. Um, really? The, in, in short, it's, it's, it's basically this idea. Um, when, when there's a reporter working for the, for the daily planet and she's doing human interest stories, you know, the, the hero, superheroes that just saved the world again. And she wants to find out from, from the, the average guy on the street, what it's like to live in a world where there are these heroes who save the world, who say, you know, who come in and fight these, these aliens and these monsters and these supervillains. But she finds out, you know, like there was a battle with the X-Men where, you know, they, they fought a rogue Sentinel and, you know, sent it crashing to the ground to an abandoned warehouse. Except that in the alley outside, there were four homeless men who were burned nearly to death. Um, Spider-Man punches one of the supervillains through a building. You see that happen all the time. Who was at the desks in the building? Um, you know, so uh, there, there's a big fight where... Um, uh, Thor, you know, sl- slams somebody with a car. Well, that guy, I, the guy who owned that car is trying to get his wife to dialysis. And now there's wreckage all over the street. Can't even get an ambulance or a taxi in there. So it's all the cost to human lives of the superhero battles, even though we need the heroes to fight those battles for us. But what is the human cost? So I just pitched something called the cost. Hmm. And we'll see if, if Marvel goes for it. I, I, I hope they will. Um, I, I would love to do it. It's a sort of story I've been, I've been, that's been cooking in my head as long as I've been reading comics. Well, <laughs> it, it reminds me kind of, not really, but kind of, what is the, uh, Vince, what is it called, Powers? Where you have the detectives that... Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, so it's that kind of, where it's a series that's not about the, the, the heroes, but about living right. in that, that world. There's the boys, too, I think. Um, 
and there's there's damage control and yeah there's there's and marvels itself you know the original marvels yeah. uh, was and i like that you know ground view of of this world i think that's i think that's an untapped uh, it's 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 a it's a field that hasn't been tapped enough and i think there are tons of stories that you can tell while still having a lot of heroic stuff going on to satisfy the people who flip through the pages and look for people punching each other definitely um, but from a storytelling point of view I think that would be it would certainly be the comic I would go and pick up. And and that to me is what I pitch. I pitch the comics I would go and pick up from the store. If I only had to pick up one comic, um, what kind of comic would I want to pick up this week? Uncanny X Horse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love that series. <laughs> a buddy of mine is writing a comic that is one the kind of comic I would go out and pick up. It just just I think just wrapped up Mystery Men. Um, David List is writing. Um and I'd I like, you know, he, he wanted to do something that was pulp as well as superheroes, as well as Marvel. And he got to write that mystery men thing. And, um, that was a lot of fun. I would go pick, I would have gone and picked that up even if I didn't know David. Nice. Okay. Well, speaking of what is out right now on the Marvel side, we've got fear itself, number seven of seven. So that's finally wrapping up and then yeah. fear itself, fearless, number one of 12. We've got Homefront wrapping up at seven. We've got fear itself, youth in revolt wrapping up as well. I don't know. Have you been keeping up with the fear itself stuff? I'm up to about issue five in my in my catch up, so uh, yeah, I, I'm catching up on it. I the the one of the problem with cross continuity stuff is it's just finding the time to catch up every 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 issue that that advances the story. Yeah, and you know as much as I love Marvel, you know my criticism of cross continuity, no matter who's doing it, Marvel, DC, or any other, is that not every story really needed to be told. A lot of it is is is, is stories. To make you buy more comics. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Speaking of which, then we got to tie in with Journey into Mystery number six twenty nine. Hey, Vince, you've been like one. Yeah, I haven't read it. It's freaking <laughs> Thor pansy ass stuff. I'm not gonna read that. We got Ultimate Comics Spider Man's the hardcover for the Death of Spider Man. So if you haven't read that, the trades out. You can buy it. It's definitely worth picking up. And then we got Uncanny X Men number five forty four. We're slowly gonna be wrapping that sucker up. And then Wolverine number seventeen, which I sure as hell hope is gonna be better than number sixteen. On the DC side, we got all our number twos with batman bird of prey birds of prey blue beetle captain adam cat <laughs> jesus catwoman dc universe presents green lantern core and justice league number two legion of superheroes number two nightwing i dare say red hood and the outlaws oh. supergirl and wonder woman i i noticed that justice league is a little late there did vince had they said that it was going to be like um, it's, every it's month and a half something two that the Marvel guys have been teasing the DC guys about, and uh, Jim Lee put put it to rest with saying that Justice League was always solicited for this week. They just put issue one out early. Ah, okay, good to know because I I want to see what's going to happen with how they're going to be putting that team together now. I compared to a lot of the other ones, this one's going to be gold. And then you've been loving Hellblazer. That one's coming out as well. Mm -hmm. And then otherwise we've got Mass Effect is starting another series, which if you listen to some of our other episodes, you'll know that we actually really liked the other miniseries that they did. So this one is Invasion and it's a one of four, which of course they're prepping for Mass Effect 3, the game that's going to be coming out next year. We've got Samurai's Blood number five of six, which we have been absolutely loving. Did you get caught up on four? My shop has been horribly understocked oh, on that. I'm going to have to get it in a collected edition. Okay. It was it was really quite good. I'm loving what they're doing with the Samurai story. And then 30 Days of Night number one. So we got a nice little zombie one there. So what's on the reading list out of these for you, Jonathan? 
Well, thirty days of night, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I haven't I haven't read that samurai one, but now 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 that you say it, I'm going to go track it down and and, uh, and grab it. Yeah, we actually talked about it on a couple of back episodes. If you check through, you'll see and. I have we actually we both have really been liking it. It's a six-parter, and I like that it's very traditional in a lot of ways, and yet it still is fresh enough and fun to read. It's it's very well done, and the art is ugh, insanely good. Fantastic. All right, so with that, we're actually going to wrap up the show. Jonathan, thank you so much for spending this much time with us. Oh, it's man. been fantastic having you on. Sometimes it is nice to just shoot the... Ah, damn it, I'm going to have to bleep that out now. There had to be one. <laughs> you almost made it. Shooting the breeze with other like-minded people who enjoy talking about comic books and such. Absolutely. I tell you, it's, it's, it, is, it is really gratifying to know that, that you're not the only, only overgrown geek out there, you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, no, there's plenty of us, I assure you. <laughs> okay, so again, thanks for joining us. If you want to check out the show notes, they are, of course, at comicbookinformer.com. You can find us on Twitter at CBinformer. And if you have any comments or submissions or anything like that, send them to Roger or Vince at comicbookinformer.com. And with that, we will see you guys next week. 